This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Hi, I'm Hanif Baharuddin and this is Gigi Wellplayed, BFM's video game show. We're going to be talking to the folks at Persona Theory Games, a Malaysian studio that's currently on the verge of releasing their next game called Cabaret. But before that, here's a recap of some of the biggest news in the world of gaming with Ali Johan and of Nail Ting. Thank you, Hanif. Um, Ali Johan and Othniel tonight reporting some news for this week. And we're going to kick off today's show with a rumor involving the gaming giant in China, Tencent Holdings and Ubisoft. According to Reuters, Tencent is planning to increase its current stake in Ubisoft, which is around 5%, to potentially become their biggest shareholder. Uh, Tencent first acquired 5% of Ubisoft's stake in 2018 after Ubisoft's investor Vivendi decided to sell its shares due to some tensions between the two. That's right. They now perhaps think it's time to expand that 5% stick and have reportedly reached out to the family of Ubisoft CEO Yves Guillemot to indicate their interest. But despite said ambition, it's unclear how much of Ubisoft exactly that they are planning to acquire. In a recent earnings call, CEO of Ubisoft Yves Guillemot said that Ubisoft was open to reviewing offers to buy the company but have not confirmed nor denied that they have been approached by potential buyers. We'll bring you more information if it does materialise. Moving on, after selling off Crystal Dynamics and Eidos Montreal, Square Enix is now reportedly looking to sell more stakes from some of their remaining studios. According to reports, the sale of Crystal Dynamics, Eidos Montreal and Square Enix Montreal is only the phase one of how they're planning to change their business model moving forward. Mm. In phase two, they will apparently be reviewing their portfolio of studios and deciding whether to retain full ownership or allow other companies to buy sticks in those businesses. According to games industry analyst David Gibson, this move would allow Square Enix to move resources between studios more easily and perhaps allocate more resources to titles from Japan. Square Enix also explained that their decision to sell off Crystal Dynamics and the others was mainly to do with the fact that uh, this studio cannibalized from the rest of the studios by taking up more resources and making it harder for them to allocate resources across their whole development portfolio. So far, Square Enix has not yet responded to any of these news reports. But up next, the upcoming platform fighter from Warner Brothers, Multiverses, is being delayed. Yeah, so it was supposed to be released this month, but now the first season is going to be delayed. The appearance of Morty from Rick and Morty fame has also been delayed as well. And this holdup has set a lot of fans wondering whether it has anything to do with the merger between Warner Brothers and Discovery. But the game director Tony Hine has clarified on Twitter that the delay does not have anything to do with the merger. Let's hope that this is true and we'll be able to see the game really soon when it is ready. Uh, it, so far, it does look pretty solid and has been receiving a lot of good reviews as well. Mm. Last but not least, the Malaysian eSports contingent has managed to bring home three gold medals at the Commonwealth eSports Championship in Birmingham. The gold medals came from Dota 2, won by our female Dota 2 squad and another squad that participated in the open category and eFootball. The female Dota 2 squad featuring Stephanie Lim Yuan Lee, Betty Chia Hui Ping, Tan Lin Sin, Nadira Saufi, Wong Wei Xian and Lim Chen Z managed to beat England 2-0 in the final to bring home the medal. Yeah, well done. And the open category, meanwhile, was won by a squad that featured William Yo Kwok Tiong, Denise Daniel Abdullah, Chung Wei Shen, Ahmad Aisha Hussam, Pang Si Suan and Lloyd Yong Binji. Uh, they too beat England 2-1 in the final. And another game in eFootball, Malaysia's representative is Mohamed Noor Haikal Mohamed Noor 
and he beat Scottish player Gary McInnes in two out of three matches to bring home the medal. So congrats to all the winners and that's all we have this week. It's back to you, Hanif. Thank you very much, Ali and Afnil. Joining me today are the folks from Persona Theory Games, an indie narrative game studio based here in Malaysia that focuses on telling Southeast Asian stories. Hi, my name is Sakina Latif. I'm one of the three co-founders of Persona Theory Games. Hi, uh, I'm Buddy, one of the uh, also co-founder from PTG. I'm the uh, creative director and normally I do most of the stories. Uh, hi, I'm Ahmad Elmi. I'm a lead game programmer in Persona Theory Games. So the current game that they are working on is called Cabaret, a folklore adventure game. It's currently in the last stages of its development, so we're going to start our chat by asking Sakina, Buddy and Helmi for an update of that game. I understand that it will be released in Q3 of 2022. Um, can you perhaps tell us where is the game at currently? Like, Is it like near completion or are you still, I guess, playtesting it? Um, <laughs> I like them well, to be honest, the game was supposed to be completed last year. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, because we're a bit, I wouldn't say perfectionist, but um, as we grow older and time passes, we learn new things and we just try to make better, right? So while trying to add, uh, we add more things, we make it better. And while making better, then time passes and suddenly it's August already. <laughs> it's almost August. And we're like, dude, we got to re- finish this game. We got to release it. So that's the kind of... Uh, mindset or mind state that we are in right now yeah and also I think when we first started we didn't know we would be on console <laughs> like we had the idea that it's gonna be one year and then uh, we release on PC just like our previous game Fires at Midnight with the help of Wings Interactive but then also with the help of Wings Interactive they introduced us to people from PlayStation, from Nintendo, from Xbox. The next thing you know, we got an ID uh, at Xbox deal and we were showcased during the during the Xbox showcase this year um, during Summer Game Fest, which was crazy. So suddenly all the stakes are high and, you know, we're going to, it's our first console debut. And I think we just, we just wanted to make it better and, Knowing the team, knowing people like Buddy, Hilmi, and our art director Michelle, we just want to, we just want to push as much as possible with what we can, with the support that we got. So we didn't want it to just be what it initially supposed to be. But so now we are, we are making it. I hope better. <laughs> yeah, because uh, Wings has been like super nice to us. Um, and what happened was like she was saying we didn't plan for the console uh, release or build but when Xbox came knocking we like dude we have to make like another version for the Xbox right so the Xbox has a bunch of requirements that we have to go through so that completely changed our production workflow we had to accommodate for a controller because we previously were playing on the mouse and keyboard. So that took up a lot of time. And and now we have to present the game on, you know, potentially large TVs, you know, 55 inch, 70 inch even. So 
the our UI and visual presentation, everything has to be different. So it was it was like insane on our side. Yeah. Mm. Um, apart from the technical specifications, which I understand is is something that you have to consider when it comes to quote unquote porting your game from from PC to console, was there an added pressure at the fact that you have to you're going to be on consoles, you know, compared to just PC, you know? Yeah, is, is yeah. there like a shift in mindset when it comes to like, oh no, our games now our games now going to be published on not only PC but console? Yes, yes, yes. Definitely there was no. Um, it's not like we are trying to you know like say, uh, you know, we just release whatever we want on the PC. But um, like Sakina was saying, it's our first console game and uh, we've been console uh, players. Actually, that's how we started gaming on consoles, right? Can tell and... by his hoodie. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it, it's just a place that we've always, you know, it's like, it's like, it's like the destination, you know, like we're, we're, we're a nothing company, a nobody kind of, you know, set up. And and to to start from nothing and arrive on console, that was a big thing for us. So we we uh, no matter what we do, we try to treat it with uh, respect. Mm. And and the technical specifications that you mentioned earlier, that's not mm. easy either, right? Having to adapt. In fact, in fact, actually, correct me if I'm wrong, but in fact, building a game for PC is also quite complicated as well because you also <laughs> you mentioned um, TV screens, but. Even monitors these days, people have ultra wide monitors that sometimes sometimes you have to also consider, right? In in yeah. In, yeah. in designing your game, right? Yeah. Yes. Correct. It's like uh, you imagine that how does a game like PUBG want to port into mobile, right? So that big scale, and then you want to compress it into a small chunk to make sure that each of the component works. So that kind of hard, like you, you can say something like that, lah. Yeah, like Apex going on the mobile. I mean, yeah. Like, And like yeah. you said, um, even the monitors, right? Like, uh, even in house, we are using different monitors for everybody, and we had to uh come up with some workarounds to compensate for now the ultra monitors which weren't available like a few years ago, right? Um, it wasn't uh widely available, so we took inspiration from uh, Hades. I'm not sure if you've yes, uh, Hades, Hades, um, right? Super giant, right? Yeah, super giant, right? yeah. So Hades, they did this really cool thing where they added borders on the left and right side of the screen, and uh, we we when we played some of us when we played uh, Hades in the beginning we didn't realize those frames until we played it on the white screen, and then we're like, eh, how come there's these things, you know? So we didn't notice it, and we're like, oh okay, I see, that's what they do. So that's where we got inspiration to uh, convert some of our or to add, uh, you know, new dimensions to our visuals. Um, you you mentioned earlier as well that um, you know that the game was supposed to be released in August, but you, apart from I guess the technical specifications and technical things that you're trying to work on, you also are you know if if one way to describe it is you you guys are professionists lah essentially right you like you are you want to constantly improve the game and make it better, um, but like isn't there a bit of like you know um, I don't know I mean in the larger scheme of the industry these days you know you always hear um, games being released. Um, earlier than they're supposed to, and as a result, um, you know they're buggy and everything, and that's usually because of pre- external pressures, right? Apparently, you know, the more you learn about the industry, the more you find out that oh, it's not that they want to release it early, but because you know they have external pressures, investors that they have to somehow mm. appease to and whatnot. Mm. So, um, yeah, what what is personal theories? I guess in terms of in terms of that, like in terms of uh, how do I describe it? In terms of your, I don't know, financial standing, in terms yeah. of 
being accountable um, to to you know the upper management and people like that. Is that is that that is that that kind of pressure or is it okay. just you yourself? You can decide whenever um, you want to release your game. In fact, I mean, I could say not just not just pressure <laughs> from I guess external contributors, but also gamers themselves, right? Because you've been one way or another. I guess um, you know gamers are already aware of the game, and I, I'm mm. sure they must be excited to want to play it as well. So yeah, mm. how do you go about navigating these little things? You know, as a, as a company. So that's an extremely complex question, potentially inflammatory. <laughs> But uh, uh, okay, maybe each of us can break it up into different pieces. Um, I'll I'll take the uh, how do we our production methods, how we make decisions, uh, leading to the release of the game, the condition of the game. Uh, compared to other studios, which, like you say, uh, have been uh, notorious for releasing games that are not completed yet. So, um, uh, myself and Sakina and Hilmi, we actually don't come from traditional gaming backgrounds. Uh, we uh, we come from the entertainment industry. I used to be a filmmaker. Sakina was in advertising. Hilmi was a businessman. Still is a businessman, I guess. <laughs> So, um, we bring our different disciplines together with us uh, into game development. Uh, if you know films or if you watch films, nobody ever releases an incomplete film, <laughs> right? You yeah, don't go to the cinema, <laughs> right? You yeah. pay twenty bucks or you take your date, right? Okay, imagine you bring your girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever, right? So you pay fifty bucks for the both of you, maybe even up to a hundred bucks with popcorn and drinks, and then you sit down, and then the movie you watch is black and white, and then it's not colored properly. Some scenes don't have the audio in. <laughs> some edit, some of the editing is you know inconsistent. VFX that habis. VFX in <laughs> wireframe and everything. You're like. What the hell did I just pay money for, right? So this is not a problem that the film industry ever had to face, lah. So we were very surprised when we came to the game industry. People were doing this. We're like, "What the hell are you guys doing?" You know? Yeah, it's like, like oh, having it's okay. the you ending and the DLC. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly, so, exactly. And if, the thing is, it's becoming more common as well, right? I mean, two years ago, Cyberpunk is the perfect example of that as well. Yeah, exactly. So in In my entire career, I have never even thought about releasing something that's not done. It just doesn't make sense to me, right? But then, game development, I would say, is very close to, um, I would say, making buildings, right? So, if you notice nowadays, uh, I would say there's several developments. They are selling off uh, buildings before they even done, right? Right, pre-sale and stuff. So people are buying uh, real estate. For for the future things, right? And some are even moving into their new apartments and homes without the buildings. Uh, they haven't gone through the proper safety uh, precautions, right? It, it wasn't authorized. So a lot of developments they they take. I'm not sure the kinds of issues that they are facing, but they take for granted the health of their <laughs> their tenants. So that's the real life risk. Uh, I I say it's the same thing with game development where um, the thing is not ready yet. You know, like imagine if you are about to fly a plane and you know you realize that the engine is not done properly, it could you know lead to somebody's death. You know, I'm not saying game development is like that, but things that are not done, I believe firmly believe you know no matter what, it should not go out of the gate. 
you know like it's if it's not complete keep it it doesn't matter if you rush it for monetary reasons that's on you right that 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 shows the kind of mentality that you have i'm a for profit company everything is for profit i will use whatever i can to get money it doesn't matter i don't care about my audience well being right that's what they're saying so i mean that's them but for us we make sure that things are done and if we release more content later on it's more like add ons to whatever we've already built uh, it's i don't know man i just i just want to pay my movie ticket and enjoy the film you know yeah i mean it's it's a very good mindset to have um sakina and uh, help me do you have anything to add to that uh from a manager's point of view obviously money is not infinite for us and it is a always a thing that i've always worried about and it's something that i feel like i have to grapple with like on one hand i am the producer of the game and i want to produce a really great game and on the other hand i'm also i'm actually the top management so i'm just answering to myself am i are we going to be okay hey guys can we release it we need some money you know it's like i Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde moment kind of uh, always goes on in my head, but ultimately I am still uh, an artist and I still want to release a good game. And because we have so many people rooting for us and and also because the more we release content, the more um, people are saying they have never seen Southeast Asia represented like this on a big scale like Xbox and for us I think it's more important that we make a good game with with really with the story we want to tell and you know so people can really enjoy what we're trying to do and not just feeling like oh they definitely rushed this they definitely has so many bugs uh what are the devs doing <laughs> so we really, we really don't want that feeling especially after coming from our first game uh where we we self funded the game uh called Fires at Midnight and everyone really relate to it and it solidify how we do things which is very weird in terms of games because we again by what everybody said we don't come from traditional game gaming background so that might be a pro and a con to how we do things but the most important thing is for us is that our audience our fan base get Uh, the most satisfaction of the things that we create and they get to connect with us because in every game that we do there's always a piece of us inside help mm. me do you have anything to add to that yeah uh, <laughs> okay for me um this thing actually for me is more like towards a personal personal uh, side lah. because um i believe that whatever we do we have to give the best right so i mean um me and buddy we always like uh, comment on the other games like or movie that is not really great <laughs> so you know this uh, me and second also like oh this movie is so bad what the hell this game oh, so bad so but we just not talk uh, bad about them we take what goods in that game and then we think about what can be improved from that particular game right so we see this game is that for example right Okay right. Uh, so we comment okay this they, they should do this they should do so what we do usually we keep in mind that oh Next time we make game, we make sure that we don't make the same mistake like other games. So, uh, when because uh one of the thing that for me we are Malaysian, right? We the game industry here is very small, so people um easy to notice 
uh, people like us lah and the other game other game company in Malaysia right so basically it's actually representing Malaysia works right so if you do bad so imagine what's the world gonna see us so I believe that by always um, giving the best try the the best you can do and give deliver what you can the best you can deliver so then at least people know that we are not make um, our job like a you know like a cincai buncai lah we we really put in all our <laughs> yeah. hearts to make sure that it's it's really what it's meant to be lah yeah right, fantastic <laughs> I mean it's refreshing to hear to hear that kind of perspective in this mm. current industry where Yeah, I mean, I mean, again, I'm not, I'm not trying to be a downer here, but it's just that it is, it is, <laughs> it is what reality, it is, right? It yeah, is it what is what it is. It is the reality. Mm. Um, yeah. Um, so, having said all that, um, when can we actually expect Cabaret to be released? Like, <laughs> is, there, is there a specific? <laughs> is there a specific? Like end of Q3 ke? Start of Q3 ke? Okay, honestly, we can only tell you probably in a month <laughs> because yeah. uh, we have a lot of. Um, players, I mean, stakeholders involved in Cabaret and uh, they also want, want to know what is, uh, they also are ex- experts in their field and there's always a certain window that is the best time for indies and then there's a window that is not very good for us to release. So in the end, we work very hard to make Cabaret And if we touch that window that they feel, hmm, maybe you should wait till this month instead, they will advise us on this. So, you know, all our hard work is not going to waste, say that we suddenly decide to release in October, November, which is uh, notoriously the time. (laughs) uh, Yeah, but it's also notoriously the time Uh, Call of Duty comes out and this year if not mistaken is Modern Warfare 2 sequel so it's gonna be a big thing and I think uh, it's nowhere no one is going to cover a game like Cabaret versus Modern Warfare 2 so yeah. there's, a, there's a lot of things going on yeah in the game industry if I'm not mistaken there's also God of War Ragnarok as well that you have yes to, even to we are excited for that so maybe <laughs> we are not even looking for our own news so so you know we have to be out proud of it. yeah I, we are excited for God of War and I myself am even excited for Modern Warfare 2 so I feel like we we need to listen to the people who are advising us uh, which is yeah. either the wings or the xbox team and they would know when is the best time for us to release and then um, so then all our hard work would go into you know amount to something huge hopefully <laughs> That was Sakina Latif, co-founder and managing director of Persona Theory Games and she's joined by her teammates, creative director Badi Anwardi and lead game programmer Ahmad Hilmi. We're going to make way for some messages. Stay tuned. This is Gigi Wellplayed on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, listening to Gigi Wellplayed. I'm your host Hanif Baharudin.
I'm speaking to the people from Persona Theory Games. They are co-founder and managing director Sakina Latif, co-founder and creative director Badi Anwardi, and lead game programmer Ahmad Hilmi. We've been talking about Kyberi, their upcoming game that's scheduled to be released in Q3 of this year. We've spoken about the technicalities surrounding the game, including porting the game to consoles, as well as the challenges in perfecting the game before it's being released. Now we're going to continue that conversation by talking about what the game actually is about and how different it is from their previous game, Fires at Midnight. Uh, Cabaret is about a boy named Jebat who gets cursed into a monster and gets thrown into the Alambunian and he meets the caretaker and all the creatures of Southeast Asian myths and lore uh, and he has to navigate this cruel world that he's in but also at the same time he has to question himself also and the players as well will question themselves what it really means to be a monster like are these monsters really so monstrous versus what the humans are outside? So those are the things that players will get to face. Um, it is very different to our first game, Fires at Midnight. I would say Fires at Midnight was very intimate and very personal. The story is very personal and very um, small and compact that it's, it's about a couple in an apartment during a pandemic and it deals with a lot of <clears throat> personal uh, issues like their relationship, their relationship with their family. So it talks about uh, race, uh, mixed um, marriages in Malaysia. It talks about uh, religion with cults. It talks about sex. It talks about uh, intimacy. And also it has uh, a lot of our childhood things like uh Kaza and Winamp inside, and also uh, what Galaga, our version of it at least. So, I would say Fires at Midnight is closer to making a film in a way. So, Fires at Midnight is actually supposed to be a film. It's written by Buddy, and it's supposed to span three different generations. So, who knows? Maybe in the future we might see to see whether or not we'll make the other two script come alive, but. Um, so <laughs> we'll see. Uh, and then Cabaret is more. <clears throat> I would say it's more. Um, there's a there's there's a there's a bigger cast. There's a it's a bigger world. It's a whole different realm. It is more, um, like an adventure, and you go on this wild ride with Jabat. Whereas Fires at Midnight is an intimate look into a couple's life in an apartment in Kuala Lumpur in 1999. Mm, yeah, size-wise also, Fires at Midnight, we clocked about 15,000 words, I think. But uh, Cabaret, we've uh, exceeded 120,000, I think, at the moment. So uh, by comparison, Hades is about 300,000 words. And our writing team is really small. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, and it's not, uh, 100,000 is about, I would say, the working words or maybe even published words. But um, each scene, we would have between three to eight drafts total. So you can imagine, you know, and all the other documents that we have, the amount of words that we have come up with from the beginning of the production until now is, is humongous. <laughs> so... Um, a lot of people don't realize this. It's actually very difficult to make games the way we make games. 
uh, I can safely tell you nobody makes games like us because um, again, we don't come from traditional gaming background. A lot of our games, they have extremely customized sequences, just like films, where if you watch films, sometimes you would notice uh, they would just spend one shot in one location and then they move on. It's a different scene, right? So one shot, one scene, different location. You don't really do that kind of stuff in games because it's very taxing and it wastes a lot of time and effort. But Fires at Midnight, it has an incredible amount of art assets uh, that we rarely reuse. Almost every other scene is a new scene. And uh, not only that, Fires at Midnight has a double uh, or we would say dual reality. Uh, one perspective from uh, Chitra and the girlfriend and the other one from Yoon, the boyfriend. So when you switch perspectives, um, there's also a change of lens. So each asset had to be done two times. So then not only do you have a lot of assets, you have double the amount of assets on top of that. And if we make mistakes or we make changes, then you are essentially repairing it four times. So you can imagine the kind of crazy things that we do. Um, in Cabaret, uh, we also uh, did a few uh, extremely difficult choices. So for example, even though our game is called a visual novel, we don't really have the novel style of dis describing scenes. Everything in Cabaret is dialogue. When you only have dialogue to convey your emotions without having uh, many or, or using voiceovers, there's not much information that can be delivered through just dialogue. So to compensate for that, we have a, uh, an extremely crazy art director, Michelle. <laughs> so she is somehow able to visualize and support the, the narrative constraints so she creates this humongous library of art assets at an incredible speed with uh, a standard that we have set uh, so far with all our uh, productions. So each team member in uh, Persona Theory, we have a, a creative role. Even Hilmi, I would consider him as a creative programmer where each of us will pour in a lot of effort that is way outside of our own specialized uh, job to actually support the other teams to make sure that each scene or sequence, uh, the emotions come true. So if you ask me what's the difference, I would say that's the difference. The size, the weight of the work is easily 10 times more. Wow, okay. Help me, maybe you can chime in as well. Uh, yeah, uh, Buddy called you, uh, I guess, creative programmer. Yeah, what does that entail? <laughs> what does that mean, actually? Yeah, maybe you can describe to, to oh us. Oh, God, there's a, a new term. <laughs> that even exists. Artistic programmer, uh, we call artistic it. Artistic programmer, uh, actually. Yeah. Very fancy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where this comes from, but I, I guess um, because I like to watch uh, movies also, right? Especially um, Tokusatsu. We know Tokusatsu. It's uh, what do you call it? Ah, uh? um, superhero movie, yeah, the Japanese superhero movie, yeah, Kamen Rider, Ultraman, uh, Super Sentai, right? So, uh, I used to watch uh that kind of movie. Even now, I still watch it, lah. <laughs> um, so what makes uh 
what means that what I can implement sorry that kind of movie into the film especially during my when I was so keen is that the feeling of uh, special effect and the cinematography that they did it's a it's a it's a kind of a cute movie but if you look it closely yeah, actually they have a very great um like a very great view uh, how they make the explosion or the the henshin part is um, you know looks uh, seamless right uh, that is supportable also, but um, also on other movie as well uh, let's say I cannot remember what this so few other movies lah, like I watch also like for example a sad movie or something right uh, they all have their own way of making a, a scene right Uh, like for example, if you if you play fam, um, they always talk about it where I spend a lot of time making the ambulance scene. <laughs> so those scene it's very short. I think it's a, if you play maybe like around 10 minutes or something. But I spend it almost I think three or two weeks lah, right? To get it right. So the words to get it right is where when you play that scene, you feel that you are actually in the ambulance itself, right? With the with the raindrop with the shade uh, with the lights on your face so uh, why the creative creative programmer is because I'm I'm not just making the system like a system okay let's okay this time no no I also make sure that that scene can deliver the correct emotion to the players right you know so in a way yeah. in a way it's like uh, making film like buddies the director uh-huh. I'm the producer mm. uh, Michelle builds the sets and then Hilmi is yes. actually the Uh, DOP, <laughs> you know, it's like oh, the, the emotion is not there. We must program it better. And then his other juniors are like, oh no, yeah. <laughs> I don't understand because you know their schools don't teach it. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Um, how how much of an advantage do you guys think um, that you have with the fact that you you all come from different backgrounds? Confet. I mean, I'm sure you have spoken to um your peers in the industry. Um, do do you feel like it's It's really worthwhile that you know instead of coming from the usual, I guess, school of thought of 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 making a game, you all because of your diverse background and um you you have I guess a bit of an advantage or a bit of a different, I won't say advantage lah maybe a bit of like a different perspective to approach um the art of making games I suppose. Yeah, for I myself think, of personally, it's more of a disadvantage. <laughs> definitely, why? Because why? <laughs> um a lot of reasons. Uh, one. Uh, like every other industry, uh, this industry is also not very welcoming, right? You're not one of us. You're an outsider. You don't smell like us. Go away, you know. So uh, that's the first thing we like. Like I was mentioning earlier, we we are actually nobody, nothing, and we came in budging to the industry. We had to force our way in. You know, um, there was no market slice for us. We had to come in and say, "Hey guys, uh, we're the narrative people." We were like, "We don't need narrative in games," <laughs> you know, uh, because technically, to make a good game, you don't need a story, right? Like Tetris, Mario, you know, some racing game. You don't need story, right? But if a game has a story and the story is not good, then that's a different story. So that's where we come in. Um, disadvantage, of course, because we don't have our the traditional um, mindset. Um, it's very difficult sometimes to speak to industry veterans um, because they have set ways in doing things, and 
the way we want to do things, they'll be, they'll be going like, man, you're crazy, you know. Um, actually, Cabaret, uh, like all our other projects, they were all rejected. We've been pitching them for like years and they were all rejected locally, right? Uh, I could even tell you that uh, when we were pitching on the panel, actually, Sakina was pitching. I, I actually told her, hey, don't bother, you know, just give up. <laughs> You know, they're not going to care about it. But she didn't listen. And I was sitting beside her while she was pitching. And I can't remember. There was a guy on the panel. Uh, but he asked her uh, some kind of question. And she answered him. And they actually laughed at us. They were like, ha, 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 ha. Right? We were like, okay. <laughs> you know? So that was a very difficult period for us. We were like, okay, you know what? It's, it's, nobody wants us. You know, uh, things are going to be hard. Let's just forget about it. Let's do other things. Uh, but Sakina and uh, a few others, they they were like, you know, let's just talk to different people. And luckily enough, they found wings, wings, right? So, so locally, not being part of the system is an incredible disadvantage, right? And uh, not knowing, like I myself, I don't program, uh, you know, so not knowing the language is incredibly hard. Uh, we've only persevered thus far because of our various experiences. Uh, we've created different kinds of experiences so we know our way around, how to make things happen. And of course, we have great teammates, you know, these really crazy people to support us. So when you are at a huge disadvantage, I think the best is to have a group of people that you can trust, that you can go together, right, and face a lot of hardships together, and you just know that they have your back. You know, just like we have their backs, they have our backs. So that's that's what we've been doing so far. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so on the plus side, <laughs> on the plus side, um, I come from advertising. So I used to be in Leo Burnett. I used to uh, handle a big client like McDonald's. So I know my way around branding, uh, marketing, along with my our other co-founder, Derek. So I would say one of the biggest advantage of uh, the team is actually having experience outside of just games. Because now that we are a little bit more well-known and there are more and more smaller teams coming up, uh, more game jams that need mentors, the more I see that branding and marketing are the the last thing they think about. It's not even, it used to be a joke in the industry that audio is the last thing that game developers think about. But no, actually it's branding and uh, branding and marketing. So I always tell, uh, this is, I think one of the, 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 the advantages of Persona Theory Games is our, our name Actually, now when you Google, you will find us. My name is quite uh, unique. In, you know, it might be Sakina, but the spelling is quite unique. So it's also easy to find me. Uh, I've, uh, I think the team has done such a good uh, branding around our social media, even my own, like if I'm synonymous with the company. Uh, that was one of the biggest advantages in uh, for us. So now... I feel that we are more known, um, we're starting to be more known overseas as the people who are doing Southeast Asian uh, stories and culture in games. So our, our personal theory games has all, is now synonymous with 
Southeast Asian stories and narrative for uh, indie games. <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah. sorry to interrupt. I really want to add this one. <laughs> Talking about Southeast Asian culture, right? When we came in five years ago, there was zero local content in local games. Zero. Yeah. Everybody was copying, I would say, like, you know, uh, what's that, uh, you know, permadeath game? Uh, uh, Dark Souls, right? Yeah. Everybody wanted to make Dark Souls. Bloodborne. Everyone wanted Bloodborne. to be Bloodborne to be exact. You yeah. know, uh, they, they would just keep making, uh, you know, like, colleges teach kids every kid would know how to make an AK-47, right? Yeah, for uh, some for, reason, for that Call is the industry. Like game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the industry yeah, requirement yeah. is you can graduate if you can make an AK-47. I'm like, yeah. who yeah. needs an AK-47? You are an artist. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> and when we came along, we wanted to tell our own stories. That's why we are in Malaysia because, you know, I cannot tell Malaysian stories if I'm living in Antarctica, right? So I can tell a, Malay- a story about a Malaysian guy living in Antarctica, freezing his <clears throat> off, right? But um, we are here trying to tell our stories and everybody laughed us off. You know, they were like, ah, someone actually made a comment like, oh, some people do, you know, like roti canai or teh tarik. You guys do the whole nasi krabu and all the rempah and stuff. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I remember yeah. that now. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Somebody told me that they heard this being said and I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, so, yeah. what's wrong with Nasi Krabu then? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And also, and, we were exotic. Yeah, we were too <laughs> exotic. I'm like, dude, you're from the same... I know you live across me, bro. I'm like, yeah, how yeah. am I exotic? And your, <laughs> and your family probably come from Kelantan. So, all yeah, you like, shouldn't be exotic to you at all. You know, I'm pretty. I mean, yeah. like, you know, so I can't believe Malaysians call us Malaysians, you know, too Malaysian or we too are exotic. too local, yeah, too, too exotic. <laughs> yeah. We're like, guys, are you guys for real? So mm. we did, luckily, we were really bad listeners. We just did whatever we want to do. But then now, you know, you can see so many of these uh, locally influenced uh, stories popping out mm. like mushrooms. Yeah. People now wanting to steal local culture and you know like now they are for culture but yeah. these people really should take a long hard look in the mirror and like come on guys you know yeah, yeah. you know you're just here for the money so just you know and and sometimes we have been accused of uh, profiting from our culture but I'm like dude we haven't seen any money yet <laughs> you know like I don't think we've been so, accused yet but yeah, I have definitely like, been a bit miffed at like yeah. games like uh what Bridge to Kena or something like that. Uh, it's a bunch Sifu. of uh, and Sifu, <laughs> all all Western devs, and there I don't see a single Asian or Balinese in the Kena yeah. development team. And then meanwhile, we are trying to make uh, you know just a wayang kulit <laughs> art, and then suddenly we're called exotic. So I yeah. feel like that's a that's a very unfair thing locally how they perceive it. You know when they when they mm. see the Western world. Uh, do it they're like okay it's acceptable it's so but cool. then when we want to do it first it is too exotic or maybe it won't be palatable to the to the west mm. but now they see cabaret being shown on xbox and then suddenly they are like oh we should get you guys to talk about your process <laughs> so yeah it's it's very hard when you know you see when we are still so um Reliant on our colonial past, that we we look to the our ex colonists for, um, I guess validation. <laughs> yeah. So, so until now, I guess so. I'm like, 
why can't we just mm. decide on our own thing? You it know, is, like, it is. Yeah. It's white people first mentality, right? It's, mm. it's crazy. Yeah. So, but now we're supported yeah. by them, so. <laughs> yeah. The yeah, nice funny. ones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. They're nice because they're yeah, supported. We're, we're supported by very nice Europeans and Americans, yeah. so we cannot, yeah. we won't be here without them. And <laughs> the people who said no to us are now asking us for things and calling me by my by my name, which is very weird, but uh, yeah, things work out. <laughs> oh, thank you for being so candid and sharing those things because I, I mean, I'm a bit taken aback by how vicious it sounds. I mean, not super yeah. vicious, but yeah, it sounds quite bad. I mean, like the way, especially from, from, from yeah, from Malaysians themselves to be, I guess, reacting that way to... to yeah, I, sorry, sorry to keep interrupting you, man. It's just... Uh, I got a really big pet peeve when people go and talk about, you know, whatever, like, the industry or whatever. And I hear them, everything's also rosy, you know. I'm like, dude, no, stop lying through your pants. Yeah. You know, people need to know the truth, you know. Like, them, yeah. you know, a lot of kids nowadays, they, they come into the industry not for no other reason than the reason that they play games. Oh, I play games. Now there's a game course. Must be... You know, like, I can make games. I'm like, no, that's not how life works, man. You know, so it's, the the education is terrible. You know, one of our interns, um, he actually said, two months with us is equals to five years in college, right? Because they really don't learn anything there, you know, and parents are paying them so much, you know, uh, I mean, the, the colleges so much to get a subpar graduate and they try to go into the industry and they realize the industry is not what they were taught, you know, and they don't have the required skills to continue. So you lose a lot of uh, passion for the, the the industry, right? Or for the things you make. So it's crazy. Yeah, not to say that everything is negative in the industry, but locally, we feel, personally feel that also, because we've had our the doors closed to our face so many times, and then for us to only get the recognition that we we're only now getting because of uh, external help, is also like I wish I wish Malaysia would actually you know we have so much talent here. Why aren't the people with talent getting the funding? It's only after. Like even when I see things like uh, the sound designer of Encanto is Malaysian. Why do you think he's there? He's not here. <laughs> like, you know, like why is it after we have, you know, put in our blood, sweat and tears, almost losing everything only when we are semi-successful and going up, now we are suddenly um, deemed worthy to be accepted in the industry. So every chance I get, even when I am, we are mentoring a few teams, uh, a few indie teams who want to do the same thing as we are. Like, they want to talk about their culture. How do they do that? So we we really actually tell them that it is difficult, but we it's try to, thing. yeah, we try to um, help them navigate the industry outside of Malaysia and not just look at what is here because the world is big. Uh, mm. The world of indie games is opening up. The world is opening up. So... Don't worry about Malaysia. Malaysia is very small. There will be people in Malaysia that will support you for sure, but they need to, you know, you you need to get the the funding from overseas, definitely. <laughs> Not here. Just to end this current conversation, because I definitely want to get you guys on again to talk about a lot of things. Um, 
Thanks, man. Yeah. So where where do you see yourself as a company now that you're heading on this upward trajectory, right? Um as much as you want to say, oh, you know, um, Buddy made a claim that, you know, some people say that narrative is not important in games. We know that it is important. I mean, games like The Last of Us, for example, is well-known more for its, not just for its gameplay, but its, its storyline, right? So so there's always that, I guess. As much as, yeah, you know, you have your your MOBAs and your Battle Royales, which are essentially games without storylines. Narrative is still pretty important in making games, right? And... So where do you situate situate yourself now um, at this very moment? Considering that you're not only, I guess, focusing on narrative, you're also indie. You know, is that is that is that like a an aspiration to 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 eventually make you know triple A games when 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 the time comes, or or will you or are you comfortable in this, I guess, position of making games that are unique but with with a very I guess narrow but very focused. Uh, focus uh, on on narrative, you know, telling good stories rather than just telling good interactive stories rather than just I guess focusing on on you know a sapa game with a sapa story. Hmm. I think uh, personally, uh, well, definitions first. Triple uh, A means that we have we've suddenly been bought over by a giant company and then they they pump in lots of money and probably crunch us all to death. So probably <laughs> maybe that doesn't sound like an amazing thing, but maybe if they do buy us out, then the the the, the main founders can just you know me, Buddy, Derek, Michelle, he'll me retire on an island somewhere. Who knows? <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't plan that far ahead to the future. But who knows? Uh, yeah, but right. yeah. But you know, our I I think. Branding again. I'm talking about branding. <laughs> branding was, I I think that the team has solidified the fact that Persona Theory Games is synonymous with, uh, complex stories, complex characters. But in our blood is Southeast Asian stories. So, uh, it doesn't matter whether in the future we decide to make, uh, like a strategy game or a big, uh, RPG of the size of Persona games and all that or Final Fantasy games but in our essence everything we do will have Southeast Asian influence and I I feel like that will never be contested for as long as we are uh, surviving that if anyone wants to write stories if anyone wants to learn how to really write uh, narrative uh, stories especially Southeast Asian stories then we are the company for that uh, and also my own personal thing is to actually grow more people like us, you know, grow our own community. So any <clears throat> anyone who actually reach out to us for help or advice to look at a pitch deck or uh, people who wants to make similar games to us, is we are more than happy to advise and, you know, grow our own gaming community where it's... Ex- it's um, it's more accepting of people like us and we are not going to tell you you're, you're wrong or you're too exotic or this is this is bad. You know, we'll help you and we'll help nurture the, the community. So that is my own personal aspiration. And also to have enough money to have a Persona Theory Foundation where we take care of three cats and dogs. <laughs> Buddy? Yeah, uh, definitely... We need a huge piece of real estate so we can bring in all the strays, you know. Yeah. 
<laughs> this is the priority of the company. Our shareholders yeah. will be calling us after this. We're like, hey guys. Yes. <laughs> no, but um, yeah, but uh, I have because I'm I'm 100% indie. Uh, nothing against the AAA guys yeah. or the corporates. They do what they do. Yeah, they're good. They do what, what they do, do and we yeah. do what we do. Mm. And I I actually believe the world will be a better place with a lot more indies. Mm. <laughs> so um, I want the PTG. We we tell the stories the way we want to tell stories. If because uh, personally, I've been fighting censorship all my life. You know, even today now every day it's one of the most oppressive things you can do to a creative or an artist i feel and the ability to just say what you want to say do what you want to do think what you want to think i think that is a a freedom that a lot of us take for granted and at ptg even though it's incredibly difficult we try to cultivate it um and in the future whatever we do if we meet an entity that stops us from exercising our rights to freedom, then perhaps that might not be the path that we will take, right? So uh, I think that's the most important thing for us. Lah. I mean, for the past few years, we've been doing what we want to do and we're still around, which is incredibly difficult. So uh, let's just hope, you know, uh, next few years will also be somewhat harsh, but kind enough, you know, for us to be able to tell stories. Well, of course, it's uh, it's everyone's a dream in the in the game industry to make a game that everyone's play and talk about it for I don't know maybe for the next generation and then next generation like a lot that. So personally, for PTG, I really want to make a uh, a games that can be remembered to the next generation. Like for example, right? They say I I say um. I make a game that is super awesome, right? Everyone talk about it, and and then, so one day let's say I, uh, I have a kid, my grandkid, and then they say, "Oh, I played this game, it's super cool." And then I say to them, "Kids, come have a seat." I feel sorry to tell. Yeah, my message. Yeah, yeah, this is my game. <laughs> yeah, basically that is what uh. What's next, lah, for me? It's just, actually it's a more like a personal goal, lah. <laughs> You're tuned in to GG Well Played, and that was Ahmad Helmi, lead game programmer at Persona Theory Games, and together with him are the company's co-founder and managing director Sakina Latif, and co-founder and creative director Badi Anwardi. We've been talking about the upcoming game Cabaret, scheduled for release sometime this year, and the state of the industry here in the country. If you'd like to listen to this episode again, look for the podcast on pfm.my, our app available on the Apple App Store or Google Play and you can also find this podcast on Spotify. Do share your thoughts on the games that you play via our email ggwp at bfm.my. Don't forget to also follow the station on Twitter at BFM Radio. My name is Anif Baharudin. Thanks for joining us. Game on and please take care. This has been GG Well Played. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.